When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome to Postal Recap coverage of Fargo Season 5. Observe the tiger in her cage. Oh wait, she's escaped. And that's the entire episode of Fargo's Halfway Point. Believe it or not, four weeks but five episodes as we reach quite a culmination point. Several characters have some tense meetings that leave a very wide open second half. Of course, we're going to break it all down with our usual panel. Of course, uh, the other panelists and myself are out last week, but holding down the home as we had not an intruder, definitely a friendly face as opposed to the mask that besieged our poor lion family. Last episode, it's the great Grace leader. Grace, how are you? I'm good. You you two were gone. I, I was thinking about when you returned, I might have you admitted. <laughs> Long overdue. Sure. Long yeah, I wasn't sure. Was you said you, I was pretty, there was definitely evidence that you both got kidnapped, but then you're like, why well, did get kidnapped? What are you talking about? So I don't know. No. And here is someone returning once again, who would never judge anyone who's named after a breakfast pastry. It's Latanya Starks. Latanya, how are you? I'm doing well. I was very excited to tune in for this nature documentary this, this week. Who was the narrator on that? Do we know? It's a good question. I Was it not Grace? Yeah, that's right. This <laughs> is a very nice plaintive voice. You could do documentaries. I'll see if I can pull up the the credits here as I'm as we're chatting. Well, in the meantime, yeah. of course, we are chatting Fargo, and as I mentioned, the curtain has fallen on the first act. We have reached the intermission point here, and it does, I think, to me again, feel like a bit of a closing out of a first half. Or obviously, the first few episodes were to set up all of our major characters, and it felt like between last week and this week. We're finally starting to bring them together. Of course, they have had their conflicts and run-ins in previous episodes, but now we're getting a bunch of brand new dynamics that I think are really going to bear fruit in the remaining five weeks. LT, what are your thoughts about this first half of Fargo? How do you want to take a bite into the past five episodes, now seeing how it kind of concluded this little mini arc? Yeah, so I... um... I have to admit that this is probably my least favorite episode of the season so far. 
Um, it, there's a lot of like cat and mouse stuff going on, which sometimes I can find, you know, uh, exciting. But given how kind of like the the breakneck pace of the other episodes and how just intense the last episode was, um, it, it felt like narratively we needed a little bit of a break. So I understand why they would insert this episode in there. I think that so far we have a good idea of what all the characters' motivations are and like what they want out of life. And we're starting to see some people come together that we would not have expected to come together, uh, you know, with um, Dot and uh, the the police officer. I can't mm, remember Indira. her name. Indira. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the first five episodes have been really, really good. And like, you know, one of the most solid outings of a season recently of Fargo. What do you think, Grace? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is an episode where this is kind of like, you know, all pizza is good pizza and like it's good Fargo, but we had so many good episodes um, thus far. I think notably like one and two are really hard to separate, but one seems like maybe my favorite so far. And then three I really love where it got super weird uh, with, with old Munch. Um, I was going to say, uh, old Munch, whales. absence from this episode. I'm assuming he's yeah. just eating pancakes for 43 minutes. True. <laughs> um, not absent from this episode is a is the narrator who is a previous Fargo alumni. It's season four is Justifada. It's Jason Schwartzman place the narrator oh, yeah okay listen yeah i'll be completely cards up i could have sworn it was a woman uh oh I really like yeah <laughs> the high-pitched voice i could have sworn but i actually just watched uh when i was flying into new orleans i just watched asteroid city for the first time yeah. so jason ah. schwartzman has been like living in my head rent free for the past five months he's also one of the best parts of the new hunger games movie so uh, yeah he's been really busy lately yeah, yeah. spider-verse as well yeah that's right so uh, yeah, I think that this episode, this is um, what what I liked about this episode, though, in terms of it, it wasn't very actiony. Obviously, it, there is a little bit, uh, but it's like dot sort of, you know, getting everybody in a in a you know messed up. But what I did like is how unique I thought the interactions were. I feel like they've set up such yeah. interesting characters that when they put them all in sort of this like you know the blender, uh, I, I was totally surprised by what we got. I loved the Lorraine uh, Roy uh, uh, interaction. Uh, Danish trying to like get the security guards <laughs> in, in order. Uh, Indira and Dot uh, uh, coming face to face. There was a lot of like really I thought stellar character combos this episode that even if it was not the most like forward driving episode um we're mostly in a medical ward and at the lion estate um but overall i thought it was a really interesting episode that this is one that it's so hard when we not you know, so hard uh the plight of the plight of the podcaster Mike, oh yeah but like, little as violin Yes, but like, you know, at the end of the season, I might appreciate this episode more because of what it's like, it has the potential to set up moving forward in the back half of this season, whereas individually on its own, it's like, this is the episode I get this week. It's like, I wish maybe there was some more to it, but this is what mm -hmm. we got. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a good series of scenes, uh, less so than maybe an episode. You know, the whole is lesser than the sum of its parts. I think really the talking points that I'll want to get into after a quick plot recap will majorly be those new dynamics. And Again, I will say, I think it's a nice sort of semi-closing off point, uh, semi-permeable closing to the first half of the season, which it's not as sprawling of an ensemble as season four was. But I'll admit after last episode, I was feeling a bit like, where are we going from here? Especially the Lorraine Lion in the room of like, how is she involved in all this? And 
clearly there is something larger that she has in play that's only alluded to in this episode, but at least we get more time with her. That's really the big takeaway of the episode for me. So we'll get more into her and plenty of these other characters in this episode. Well, this one also, uh, no munch. Now I'm confused whether it's munch. It is munch, right? It's yeah, not no, munch. that's not. Listen, there's yeah. no Munchella effect happening. It okay. is munch. Munchella, and there's no uh, Whit Far <laughs> in this episode, right? I believe yeah. so. Uh, no, yeah. Lauren Morris. So, uh, in terms of like it being a pretty broad ensemble cast, they even like trimmed it this episode to a degree. Mm-hmm. So, I, I also thought this episode was very, very funny. In particular, there are some killer lines this episode. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get into everything about the tiger as narrated so nicely by jason schwartzman i do not uh i pale in comparison but i'm very pale so i'll try my best let's get into our quick plot recap for the tiger and everyone is after the titular tiger aka dorothy lyon aka nadine lorraine has danish and mitt dot to the medical center of course the like one hospital apparently in the city that we went to last time but she escapes in her best nurse disguise. When she sees Roy's men are coming for her too, she re-enters the hospital only to run into the FBI. She tries to uh, get Wayne, you know, in a safe spot. The FBI tries to speak with her and she ends up sneaking out the bathroom window. But while the tiger is away, Lorraine Lyon will play. Indira goes to see Lorraine when she learns that Dot was admitted and escaped. Lorraine reveals that she knows Indira is in debt. Lorraine also gets a visit from Roy Tillman, who reveals that he wants his wife, Nadine, back. Lorraine points out that after seven years, a missing person is legally declared dead, and therefore Dot is, quote, Wayne's property. Roy refuses a cash payout to leave things be and leaves the Lion estate. And so Roy decides on plan B, kidnap Wayne. But Dot pulls a fast one on them and swaps name tags on the door. And a man in need of a removed intestine is the one who leaves in the hands of Gator and Roy's men. Scotty also leaves the Lion Estate, but in the hands of Dot. They head to Indira's house and Dot pleads with the police officer to let her daughter stay with her while the tiger unresolves her unfinished business. She was young when she met Roy, 15, oof, and only 17 when she married him, double oof. She left him because he was abusive. Indira decides to let the charade play out, and Dot drives off, seemingly in search of an ending to things once and for all. So, again, Dot is, as always, the centerpiece of all this. You say cat and mouse game, Latanya. It was almost like an American tale to me, where like everyone was in search of the one person, <laughs> and they just ran into a bunch of misadventures. But again, I want to go back to Lorraine Lyon because, in my opinion, this was her episode. Through a few scenes, we learned so much about her. I want to start with the first scene, which we actually didn't talk about in the quick plot recap, but is a little tangential to, again, the big thing she has going on, which is her meeting with these two men from this bank that she's looking to buy out. And I feel like, coupled with the Roy scene, which we'll obviously get into, this is by far the clearest picture into Lorraine Lyon's view on the world. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, it's it's really great to see, uh, you know, Lorraine kind of like flex her muscles during this meeting. It's always nice when a woman orders for the table as well. Uh, talk about someone who knows what she wants. But you can tell how like menacingly powerful that she is uh, and that she is a person who typically gets what she wants out of life. So it's really interesting to see her come up against essentially all of these men this episode who are telling her how, or at least trying to tell her how they're 
view of the world is what's going to come true. And she's just like, yeah, no, that's not, I'm not interested in any of that. Yeah. So her play here is that she, people don't like the repo man. And that's essentially Mm -hmm. the business that she's in at the moment. She would like to be the actual creditor. So she's trying to buy this relatively small bank, which I'm sure is still worth a lot of money uh, because they, she believes they don't have enough cash on hand to pay if they were to be like reported to the, the, like the revenue. Insolvent. Yeah. They're insolvent. And so she's going to buy it and basically saying like, I will overpay for this. Every time you call me lady, I'm going to lower the price by like millions of dollars. And if you don't want to be bought, I will go somewhere else and buy somewhere else. That's, that's the play. And also a 93, not a 92. No, she wants a 92, not a 93. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, that's just in like, I, you know, we didn't put it in the plot recap. It's in the midst of like all of these other things are happening in her life. And she's kind of like, she's still doing business, trying to obtain power. And what I think is really interesting, she's had all these excuses, not excuses, but like, well, I guess they are about like why actually she's doing good in the world as being like a, a debt result. I think her, is her company called uh, Resolution America? Something like that. Something that's like. <laughs> Uh, That's, that know. sounds like a party that Roy Tillman would run on if he were to be <laughs> seeing national seats. Yeah, and so I think that what's she she has this vision of like why actually being like helping people solve their problems in terms of like figuring out a payment plan to repay their debts is actually a good thing. But that's not actually like enough for her in terms of her like quench for power. She she talks about in the last time she spoke with Indira, she's on the inside of the gate, and the, and and authority has no authority inside the gate um and uh and so it's just very interesting that in the midst of all this she is trying to um you know am- amass more power the ability that they she can actually be uh she would own a bank she is the one who could potentially hand out loans and then figure out ways in which to like make sure that they are uh, uh repaid probably with an incredible amount uh, of interest it's not enough to exploit one area of like the american uh like capitalist structure you need to own like every aspect of it to be a powerful american yeah i mean listen there's a reason why the banker is the most popular position to have in monopoly uh because you can (laughs) skim a little bit off the top you control all the resources and what is really interesting about lorraine for me is that you know i think there are some thematics in this show that i'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around but she really represents this idea of the cage as you mentioned, she talked about this with Indira a few episodes ago about how, you know, you guard the people outside from getting into the wall. I'm behind the wall. Uh, here we have her talking about she's a, you know, she's the zookeeper. All the the, the, the debt ridden are in these cages. I mean, like watching them. But I think the irony of all ironies is that she herself is kind of in a cage of her own. I think she's been both kind of shoehorned into her very successful business, but still, uh, you know, seeking some more due to the fact that she wants to reach out. She wants to be a creditor. I mean, Indira is going to be talking about this with her husband, the idea of have you ever had a dream that you woke up and you realized you just weren't tall enough to accomplish? And I feel like Lorraine's kind of feeling like she's stretching a little bit and at the same time what she directly faces in this first exchange is her own cage that she is in which is of her gender which is of this idea that you can be the most powerful person in the room you could have six governors on speed dial and a direct line to the sec to report these mofos but they're gonna call you lady and devalue you and so again it's just such a fun idea that despite her probably being the most powerful person in the show from a political perspective, LT, 
she herself is still facing limitations because she's human. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the limitations that, you know, society kind of imposes on women. Um, and, and, you know, kind of like the whole Midwestern trope of like, you know, these powerful businessmen not wanting to kowtow to a woman as well. I mean, there's a, there's a lot uh, of the patriarchy that kind of like goes into how she's been treated um, and, and how she chooses to respond to the people in her life that treat her this way as well. There's a lot of the ladies thing is, I feel like ladies is the go-to term for people who are trying extra hard to make me feel included as a trans person. <laughs> they'll be like, there's a lot of it when it's like a guy and it's normally a man who will, and it'll be like a meeting where it's like me and two of my like women coworkers, like, Hey ladies. And they're like, oh, okay, all right, fine, whatever. It's fine. You know, none of us like it basically. Um, the other thing I think it's really interesting here, Mike, is the idea that Indira, or sorry, Lorraine brings up the idea that you pass on your debts to your children. Mm -hmm. And then she's meeting with Roy and she's basically trying to protect her child, right? From like, and, and protect, like, you know, it's the that this conversation is like the two types of worst people. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, they, yeah. the entire, the yeah. theme of the Roy Lorraine conversation is the worst person, you know, just made a good point. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so, right. She's like being like, actually, D Dot is actually my son's property. You're like, gross. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. But you know, at least she's not wanting to like, and so the way in which like Lorraine hates Dot, like she does not yeah. like her, but also I do think, I think in the previously on, we do get the conversation where Dot sort of like, shows her teeth to Lorraine. I mean, a it's bit definitely the, it's the, it's sort of like an opening montage where right. it's just intercut with a bunch of the moments that Dot has said to her. And she said stuff to Dot in the past four episodes. Right. And so it's, I just think it's really interesting. This idea that like Lorraine is not like, Oh, this solves a problem I have of like, I don't like Dot and Wayne could be with anybody. She's actually in a way like protecting and defending right. uh, uh, both Wayne and Dot. And so this idea that earlier in the day, she's talking to Indira and being like, you know, you're stuck in the cage and also like how unfortunate that you're like putting your children also in the cage. Um, and, and yet there's this whole piece about basically everything she's wrapped up in, in the moment is all because of her son. And it's like, her son is kind of putting her in this cage and she's trying to make sure she does not get sucked into the cage with her son um, and her daughter-in-law. So it's all just very interesting the way that like uh, parent uh, uh, child dynamics are playing out this season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That as well. I feel like she's trying to tame a wild animal in a way in Roy Tillman. You know, wild horses can't be broken because this is maybe the biggest definition I can think of in a while in pop culture of an unstoppable force meeting an immovable yes. object. Yeah. Uh, and it was electric. My God. I do agree that maybe this is my least favorite episode, but this might be like one of my favorite scenes of the, of the season so far because yeah, you have these two incredible actors in John Hamm and Jennifer Jason Lee. You have two such differing perspectives and Roy 
I wouldn't say that like he's been talking the quiet part necessarily this entire time. It's been implied, but like he really does say the quiet part out loud by basically saying like man belongs with woman and that's basically it. And Latanya to say she dresses him down would be a freaking understatement. So everything about this scene is amazing because the way that Roy like comes into this environment, he's completely thrown off of what he would experience in his own like kingdom, right? Uh, you know, like there's this powerful woman who's in charge of like this big, her, like her own kingdom, essentially. They both are. And, she, well, he yeah. can't, he can't get to. They won't do what they want each other, and it's they're like so used. Summit. Yeah, like, <laughs> I will pay like you a, money to go away. He's like, I don't really care about money. You're like, what the? Hell? And he like enters, and he's just like, there's a little girl named Scotty. I don't understand what's going on here. I'm meeting with this woman as opposed to Danish Graves. I don't know why I would be doing that typically. And then she dresses him down in a way that I'm sure no one has ever spoken to him like this before. And it's, it's really amazing to see. And it's, and they play off of each other so well, because you get the idea that neither of these characters would ever budge for the other. Can we just, can we just, can we just go through what she actually says to him? So it's yes, like, uh, uh, it's so good. Um, it says, Oh, you want freedom with no responsibility. There's only uh-huh. one person on earth who gets that. And he says, the president, and she says, no, a baby. A baby. You're <laughs> fighting for the rights to be a baby. <laughs> So I, I need to clip this out and just like save it on my phone, on my desktop, in my brain to use at any point in time with, let's say, specific types of people. Because, God, it is so true. The fallacy oh, of being like, we want freedom to do whatever we want, even though the entire idea is that like these things are set up to help you exist as a person that but then also let's speak about babies and let's speak about the themes of confines and ideas of like play pens and almost like reducing people infantilizing them it certainly mm-hmm. seems like roy tillman is kind of doing that in a certain way with the way he treats his people we still don't really know again how he's perceived within his community but that was just such an incredible line because here comes roy you know bible thumping and you can't really challenge him with bible stuff because that's that's an unattainable peak to meet Roy at. So then you cut him off at his other knee, which is his toxic masculinity. And you basically say like, oh, okay. So you don't want the government to appear to get in in any way. You feel like they are the sin committers. Uh, You will follow your own letter, AKA the letter of the Bible, not the letter of the law. You are against, you know, any sort of dynamic that might exist outside of your limited worldview kind of sounds like you have the mentality of a three-year-old instead of a 43-year-old. I mean, because his mantra is essentially, all I want to do is what I want to do, and what I want to do is not listen to you. Um, And and that's very much like a child. Oh, yep. Can can say firsthand. Yes, 100%. Yeah, it's so good. And the, the way that Roy gets sort of fed up with this and he leaves where she's like, you know, if you sign some papers, I'll give you a lot of money. And he's like, if that's who you are, and she's like, that's that's who, that's I, am. who I am. Yeah, I will pay you money. She says, I would I would love to send her in a return to sender box, but actually I cannot. Uh, her name is not Nadine anymore. I love it. Like this is the reveal of like she had another name and Lorraine doesn't really care. She's she doesn't like, care. doesn't really matter. Um, boy, for somebody who I thought I really hated and not that she's great. <laughs> But I hate her less after this episode. <laughs> it's like, it is nice just to hand her over yeah, to Roy. It is yeah. nice to see her stand up for 
Dorothy in like the weird vile way that she does it still. Yeah. I mean, she calls her the property of her son. Yeah, it's bad. not great. Yeah, it's I bad, mean, yes, but... yes, but maybe partially is it to to like defeat him on his own logic, yeah. right? Because Roy is the one coming in saying like, "It is my God given right to claim my wife as my property." She's like, "Well, technically, then she's my son's property." I mean, what it really invokes to me is the titular creature that is her last name. Is this idea of kind of like the mama bear, mama lion, whatever you want to say, and that. Maybe Dot is sort of like that that pick of the litter, that runt that got let into her pack that she didn't necessarily want. But both because of those blood relations and perhaps a bit coming in from the worldview of like, listen, I can understand being looked down upon by these sort of like predatory, abusive in Roy's case, quite literally men. Like, I understand it to a certain extent. That being said, LT... What type of Pandora's box has she opened in doing this? You know, Roy promises Danish he will see him next time, but not mm. in the way that he expects. Could that way be a baseball bat with nails sticking out of it? Listen, they there are there are tons of hired goons that <laughs> that Roy has access to. I don't think the Lions have enough security, honestly. If Dot is able to sneak in there, not even under cover of night, it's like full-on daytime, and steal a child, then they definitely don't have enough security for whatever Roy is about to unleash on them. Because it, it looks like it's about to be all-out war, and I don't know if the Lions are necessarily preparing for that. Lions and Tigers and Gators, oh my. This is what a season. I do love that they are the lions and that Dot is kind of like the different species that happens to be adopted by like the lion family. Raised by lions. Yeah. It's like a reverse, it's like a reverse lion king. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Kuna Matata. Yeah. It's like if the lion um, it's like if the Lion King adopted Timon as one of their right. own. That's right. Um, but Timon was also fiercely capable. <laughs> um I yeah, I I the Pandora's boxing is really interesting. So the the piece here that is, is interesting to me, I, I love the way, like so much of this, I think is so elegantly weaved together. Even just that example we're giving of like, she's called the tiger, but she's married into the lion family. Roy's named his son Gator. Like there's all this animal. Obviously this episode is doing the like survival list, like narration. But on top of that, and we talked about like, yeah, now there's this like theme of like, children and your children and your cages the piece that i think this episode where lorraine reveals to and dear like i know you're in debt and the way that that is playing out the piece that i don't yet see how it weaves in and it maybe doesn't have to be other than it's a it's a complete character study of lorraine is is where she goes and buys the the tries to buy the bank and the yeah. reason i say that is like yes we get to understand her a lot and maybe even why she will defend dot like we're gonna learn not that lorraine knows this but dot will reveal that roy was abusive could have guessed that based on how he deals with the mm -hmm. the, the husband and wife from from the first episode and last episode but nevertheless like i think that there is this piece of for as much as lorraine finds dot to be such a thorn in her side they're also both women who are trying to like survive and figure it out in this world. And the idea that she'll not just send uh, back and mostly because it, she makes Wayne happy seemingly like, is that the, 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 the reason um, that we're led to believe of why she would actually like defend uh, uh, dot. But yeah, that's the piece that I feel like there could be more to that in terms of yeah. 
like her company and what they do. And, and obviously a big thing of the season is like, you know, you know, being part of your deals. And so I feel like there's more to come. I would imagine with like Lorraine as a businesswoman and how that plays in and whether or not that's like her figuring something out that can, that can sort of like handcuff Roy or the other way around where Roy can use the business or disrupt the business to really like get at, um, Lorraine via Danish or whoever, but I feel like there's more to come there that I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited about to see how it plays out. Yeah, I agree. That's a large question mark to me because we got it alluded to in the initial episodes that Lorraine's like, we need this taken care of quietly considering what we want to do. And I think all of us were in the camp of, oh, okay, they're laundering money. They're doing something illegal. It looks from this perspective like everything's above board right now. Now, maybe there's going to be a latter day reveal in the second half of the season that no, there are bad business dealings. It seems more so that like she's ambitious in pursuing these these purchases and that if there was a reason to turn eyes onto them, that's not a good thing. It's the sort of quid pro quo that she makes to Roy, right? Which is like, I have my deals. You have your election. Neither one of us want any bad business on our end. So let's just keep this mum. It feels a little like antitrust. They're trying to avoid like that the government would be like, uh, it does seem sketchy that the bank would give out the loans then also owns the like redemption services is what it's called, by the way. Mm, uh, that you would own the way in which like, so you could basically handcuff people into debt and then collect very easily on that debt. Like that feels maybe like, bad and the more that Lorraine can maybe just do it and do it quickly and now I own a bank and I own the I own the credit I own the redemption like the loan service too no biggie like don't don't look over here but the more that attention maybe gets laid to it the more it like slows down the process of this happening I don't know maybe that seems too boring for Fargo but I don't know. yeah who doesn't want fiduciary details <laughs> yeah talked about on good. your black comic uh <laughs> crime drama Maybe that's, that's how far Peak TV has gone, that it's like, yeah, we're really going into the ones and zeros, the red and the black. <laughs> episode nine is going to end and it's going to have the like SVU, like the law and order, like dun dun. And then it's just the last episode is just a full on courtroom uh, yeah. proceeding. <laughs> if only. Uh, well, let's talk about someone who was able to avoid the court in this episode as Dot Lion continues to slip slide her way like she's coded in Crisco uh, in perhaps the most aplomb she has this entire time, considering that she starts the episode restrained on a bed, about to be sent to a padded room, and somehow escapes, yet again, talk about cages, due to her concern that when she sees Roy's men come in and overhears that they're coming after Wayne, she's, like, forced to stay there and help him, but then also avoid the feds. It, it leads to, obviously, a big conclusion that we'll get to, but LT, give me your thoughts about just all the malarkey that was happening with Dot in this episode. Just so great. And what we've come to know from Dot. I mean, the fact that the episode starts with her warning those two guys that she's going to beat the shit out of them. And then we cut to them having got the shit beat out of them. And like, <laughs> somehow they're able to like corral this like 90 pound woman eventually. Um, and she the whole time is like working them, you know, she's just like, yeah. oh, I feel so much better that all I need is a bath. Calgon, take me away. And then she completely is able to, uh, you know, pretend to cry, which is something that works so well on most men. Um, and, and again, incapacitate someone and escape 
it's so great to see her maneuver in this like one hospital that apparently the town has. The Walter um, Mondale Medical Center. The Walter Mondale Medical Center. <laughs> the best hospital called. ever in the history of television. Um, it, it's it's really great to see. I do feel terrible for the man who just wants to have his intestines removed, though. You know, I, I love that he made a return. I love that he came back <laughs> after last episode. I'm like, well, this is random. Why are we spending such a significant amount of time with this one man with this very specific complaint? It's so funny when you do have to check yourself a little bit. Like, yeah, Dodd like goes into his room. He has no reason to think she's not a nurse. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. she does steal his coat. And you're kind of like, this guy's being a real jerk. But if you were completely on his side, like, we never met Dot before. You're like, uh, pretty fair. This guy's, like, got to get his intestine removed. Someone's stealing his coat. He got suffocated <laughs> <laughs> with said coat. Pretty rough day at the hospital for this guy. What I really like about Dot's sort of, like, performance is it's not quite, like, Minnesota nice. But the way it's so obvious that she's trying to <laughs> convince them to let her go and it's like i feel good i just go home and have a bath or whatever you know yeah and it's like no no i don't i think like you need to go which then like kind of lures them. like it's almost like her ploy is so obvious that they don't see her real ploy coming which is like she'll just like grab him by the nostrils which is very funny (laughs) as well um but uh, i love i love this this is very much like to me of episode one i think it gets referenced she's like did you know i set a guy's face on fire and then also cut off another man's ear and (laughs) the way it's so (laughs) menacing um and then she's so sweet when she's trying to protect wayne wayne saying yeah a little bit of poop came out and then immediately saying yeah my foot's unconscious in like the span of 30 seconds got me listen, real good i and love wayne i love wayne and listen i i i hope he's mentally stable but part of me is kind of like i do kind of love just having this wayne for the rest yes. of the season because he's like actively a liability fried uh, brain wayne fried brain wayne sounds delicious to me i'll have seconds uh, but w- what i love about it as well from i love that you compare it back to episode one grace is that they're not showing they're not showing dot as like I know we made the comparisons to Kevin McAllister, but she's not. And she's not, you know, uh, she's not John McClane. She's not like the perfect mastermind that succeeds at everything that she does. Oftentimes she fails, right? Like she burned that guy and she attacked Munch, but she but she got kidnapped by them in the end. She does all these things of like, oh, I'm going to do the Scooby-Doo thing where I kidnap the nurse and steal her scrub. And then she immediately walks to the nurse and they're like, who are you? And she just runs away. I I love how, again, this show is far from realistic, but they love to incorporate those like doses of realism to them, usually for those quick punchlines. Well, what I think, this is going to be real sad, but when Dot sits across from Indira and says like this line, which I think is like, this is some powerful stuff here where she says um men don't uh men don't do that when they're strong they do it when they're weak mm-hmm. um uh, i'm trying to find my quote here but basically that that's that's the line right um and yeah that's uh, they never hit you when it's going their way it's when they're weak and desperate to be strong when they need something small to climb on to feel big right to me dot has developed these survival instincts because of that how how horrific that that's the reason she needs to figure out how to protect herself and it's not a situation yeah where it always she she didn't go to like you know a a self-defense class she just had to learn it as she was going and so it's like it's kind of i think like the the I always talked about the magic trick of succession being like, oh my God, how do I care about these awful children? These like rich Nepo babies. Like, how do I care about them? That's ridiculous. In this show, I think it's like, these are like, it's funny. This show is very funny. It's also, Mm -hmm. when you think about like 
why she's in the situation. It's so dark. The more that yeah. they are telling us about why Dot needs to is is being chased by, which is already a horrific situation. But in our minds, I think we're thinking like, okay, what's what's to be revealed about the, what what Dot was maybe even complicit in before? And this episode basically pulls the rug out from under that and says, nope, they lured me in when I was 15 and he married me when I was 17 and then he and then he abused me. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really it's it's you know, the show is so funny. It's so good. But at the heart of it, this is kind of like the thing that for it's often has been a it is a dark comedy. Um and so yeah, it it is good, but this one is a real gut punch at the end of this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I agree and I'm I'm trying to really like roll back to have we really faced like as darkly serious of an issue as domestic abuse. And it's tough because this is a show that is festooned with the bodies of good and bad people alike. So you kind of have to judge it on a curve of like okay, is this the worst thing compared to all the other bad things we detected? But I don't know, LT, maybe just given the gravity of the situation, especially the way Juno Temple plays it, which is mm -hmm. incredibly well, and obviously how it, it causes Indira to break the law and go through with yeah. this ruse. It, it does feel very unique to me. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, when you think of like previous Fargo seasons, for example, there are some like terrible things that happen to women. I, I like the thing that stands out to me is just like the beating that uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character mm. took in that one season of Fargo. That was so hard to watch. Um, but this is almost worse because you just are imagining the kind of terrible things that she had to go through under the ilk of someone like Roy and, you know, imagining her doing it as like a 15, 16 year old, someone who was married at 17, who had to have come from not the best family life. If she got, you know, indoctrinated into this cult, essentially at 15 years old, um, you really do find her, you, you know, uh, trying to relate to and ask for the help of someone like Indira is like her, this is my last ditch effort essentially at making sure that my child is okay. I don't trust her with anyone else. Um, so it's nice to see these two women kind of come together and understand each other through, e even like through their cross purposes essentially and see Indira really just be like, this is someone that needs help right now. And this is something that I can do. Yeah, I mean, not to say that Roy was painted in the best light in the first four episodes, but I feel like the more we find out about their marriage, and assumingly, Dot is going to go to try to, like, nip it in the bud, probably going to see that Roy, Nadine encounters sooner rather than later, like, the worse it gets. I mean, this dude was taken on child brides, and I think it's interesting that when we talk about Gator, we don't excuse his behavior, but I think we talk about it from the worldview of, well, he's kind of just been raised in this environment. This is all he knows. and. I don't know, Grace, the more we find out about Dot's background, I would not be surprised if that was the same thing for her. And she serves as an example of someone who can get out of that and actually see the world for what it is. I do think there's something interesting with the idea that Gator is so hung up on his father's approval. He's a bit annoyed when he's not he's told to stay in the car uh, and he's sitting in the car sort of seeing. I think that there's certainly a way and there's a there's a look again between Nadine or Dot and Gator. We the last episode, Gator sort of slips and says and calls her mom. Um, and I think our belief is that it's not his actual mom, but at some point he probably, you know, called her that as his stepmom or whatever. 
um he 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 sort of like shushes her like don't tell the fbi what's happening this episode but i i could see her actually infiltrating him to be like your dad's a bad guy and you probably need to like get away uh uh and, and live on your own live in a swamp your, your name is gators go live in the river um but yeah so i think that's interesting it's like more and more gator keep they're they're gonna find out that they've kidnapped the wrong man and this is gator is told to stay in the car he goes into the hospital and not that it's his fault that they took the wrong man but like certainly his father will find a way to blame him so every time gator gets tasked with doing something he can't do it and so certainly his father i imagine at some point uh, we talked last week or is it last week, the week before, where Roy's been a very calm man mm-hmm. uh, up to this point. And the only time we've seen, even, even when he shoots the guy last week, he's not really mad, which is like so scary. Yeah. And so the idea that like at some point he's going to get mad. Um, uh, and we, we know from what Nadine says, like they do it when they're weak, not when they're strong. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's such an interest. I mean, again, it's I think it's played for laughs a bit of like, you know, continually this goon falling flat on his face, but he's a pretty high up goon in the form of Gator. I do find it interesting, though. I think we talked in the first few episodes about the symmetry that exists between Roy and Dot. And I feel like we get this here where you mentioned it last episode, Grace, the whole, oh, look, I think we found old Munch just happens to be this abusive guy. It's a closed loop, as he likes to say. And like Dot didn't necessarily close the loop, but LT, I do find it interesting that she kind of institutes the same tactic as well of like essentially switching identities to Obviously, they're not. They're going to figure out it's the wrong guy, yeah. but it, it's 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 in the same ballpark. I would say is the same ruse that was pulled last episode. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, th- there's not there's only so many ruses. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes you gotta you've got to do the old repeat. I think. Yeah, exactly. Only so many ruses in the world. <laughs> Can I say just at the end, Dot's having this conversation with Indira. And Lucas Cage, one Lars, comes in and says, babe, there's a lady in her kitchen. <laughs> it's like the funniest. This man is dead. They're going to figure out where Scotty so is, and he's so dead. I love how like he's an actual like, kid? an actual kid. <laughs> too good. Well, let's talk about the Endura side of things, though, because she was a bit corollary to both last episode and this one. But obviously her place in this and this feeling of powerlessness, I think sort of underlined by her debt and now carrying over into her job where I would imagine she loves her job because she does feel like she gets to do good and exact some power in a world where she is pretty much anything. But here she has this sit down with this woman who she has been pursuing ardently really since like episode two who has evaded her at every grasp who last episode, like didn't look her in the eye, denied everything that happened to her sits down and Dorothy tells the most truth. She has told this entire show Mm -hmm. to Indira. And again, Indira, the police officer, the representation of law and order decides in this moment, she is going to cover for her. She is going to, uh, to allow this to happen for the greater pursuit of Dot accomplishing what she needs to do. Grace, talk to me about your thoughts behind Indira's decision. To to keep Scotty, I think that she, I think, once again, like, Dot being a mom, I think is the thing. Indira doesn't have kids, but she gets told by Lorraine, like, your kid, like, you put your kids in your own prison. And so I think that she see like, so that scene, those scenes are not actually too far apart in terms of, like, basically, Indira and Lorraine talk. Uh, uh, 
dot takes Scotty and then, and yep. then it's not too much longer that they're, they show up at the house. So this idea of like, if she can resolve it and it's, it's not just that it's like any individual person who like is doing this. Like if this is like a man with no real power, like that's different. I don't think she's keeping Scotty, but the fact that it's like Roy Tillman, the sheriff, um, the like super, you know, has this much power and influence. I think Indira knows. And this is what I was saying. I was saying earlier in the season about this idea of that the, the cop characters seem to be so secondary to the piece, but they're actually, they're so annoying to the season. Um, and you actually have a sheriff, uh, police officers, and then the FBI all wrapped up in the story now, which is very interesting. But this idea that like, I don't know, I just, I think Indira, the, the, I love the piece of dialogue about you ever wake up and, and you're just not tall enough to reach for it. I thought it was so, it's so good. Um, I think that she sees Dot as someone who might be able to reach for it. It might be able to like stop what's happening and that the man that she's trying to get, like she actually is the one with the skills to do it. And actually all the institutional um, ways in which you normally would take down somebody like Roy Tillman will not work because he's too powerful. It will take something much more, you know, real in Dot to be able to go and at least try to stop him. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a, it feels like a bad decision for her to keep Scotty, but, and let Dot go chase after Roy Tillman, but she I does mean, it. it's, a, it's a better decision for Scotty though. I mean, we saw Roy Tillman like, look her in the eyes and be like, yeah. okay, I know who you are and where you live now. And here are some like not so smart security officers that don't recognize the mustachioed one-eyed man from any other mustachioed one-eyed <laughs> man, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, it's just, yeah, I, I also love, Indira, you know, she has this conversation with Lorraine that could really sort of, um, you know, cause her to second guess what she, like, Lorraine is like, I know that you're in debt. And she's like, oh, man. And then, and she basically, like, Lorraine makes her say, like, how'd you get into debt, right? And she she yeah. tells her. And then Indira, like, sits out at the table is like, okay, price of admission to hang out in my house is you tell me the whole truth, right? You tell me everything that's happening. I kind of did love, it's almost like Indira takes a playbook out of out of Lorraine's playbook, right? Yeah. To be like, be like, okay, you got to tell me what's going on. I, you know, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it, it's been a, another theme since the very beginning is the debts we owe. I mean, it was quite literalized in the form of Lorraine's company, but here's mm -hmm. Indira being like, okay, you owe me something then, and what you owe me is your story. I definitely thought, because I knew this episode was a shorter one, like 43 minutes, I totally thought LT, like, she was going to start and it would cut to black, and then it's like, okay, next episode is the entire info dump. Mm -hmm. We got like, a skosh of it but i imagine that's coming at some point i i would imagine that it is yeah I, i'm excited and seated for whenever it does come because th this story has to get more ridiculous um I, and i think one thing i think about indira is that she's kind of seen the limits of her own power in this situation as a police officer and she's tried to do everything that she can do under like the like guise of the law. Mm. And I think she's starting to realize that there's sometimes, especially in a situation like this, where that just doesn't get you anywhere. And you just have to almost take the law into your own hands. I don't see Indira as coming anywhere near like a Roy Tillman kind of, you know, taking the law into your own hands. But like in this situation where she's trying to protect a woman and her daughter. I think that, you know, she'd be willing to go a lot farther. It's so different, right? Like Roy, Roy spouses all the stuff that like Lorraine clocks him on of like, oh, this is who you 
protect this is who you say you protect you're protecting mm -hmm. like the constitution essentially but it's only for your own power and gain whereas yeah. like taking the letting dot take the law into her hand is much more about like yeah knowing that there's no other option the other piece that's really interesting the piece of dialogue mike is um she says um uh they never hit you when it's going their way when she says that and then dira says you said they and the piece there that i'm wondering about is like it could be that could be a, an indication that like dot it's not just roy who's a problem in this situation like it's it's anybody who had who like roy let have control mm. but the other piece the way you can interpret that line instead is indira being like oh yeah this is a thing that happens all the time like right. dot speaks about it from personal experience but she is speaking to a broad wide problem right and it, when she says they she means men who abuse their husbands right and indira sitting there being like yeah like this one instance of trying to like stop dot from doing this doesn't stop every other man who's doing it but actually maybe letting dot go do it at least that stops th this it's like i don't know it's just it's yeah. an interesting piece of dialogue it's like you said they um and she doesn't really explain it right she just says yeah. can i leave scotty here mm -hmm. it, yeah. it's a bit of ma it's a bit of macro versus micro of like you can't solve every problem but you can solve this problem in front of you and i really like the comparison to roy of like how we define taking the law into your own hands and how it might mean variable where now we're sort of like laughing at roy with his big bravado you know no holds barred f the government approach but here's indira again harboring a fugitive basically and allowing another one to go out because she feels it's out of the goodness of her heart that's another fun thing as well another big theme of these first five episodes is who are the good people and who are the bad people and oftentimes people do things because they believe they're the good people another great symmetry between roy and dot in episode four is them talking about like what makes a good person and why things don't ha why bad things don't happen to bad people unless they're accidents so it's just so interesting to see like the moralistic support systems we give ourselves to accomplish things. I mean, that really is sort of like a foundational element of Fargo. I think even some of our most like morally decrepit characters still have a code. They're not completely operating in chaos. Hell, old Munch either is or supposedly believes he's like working by a system of, oh, I take on the sins of other people. That's how I work. So it just shows who we are as humans, despite the fact that Lorraine says we're trapped in cages. I think we seek structure. I think we seek boundaries. And I think a lot of these characters, especially in this episode, were really testing those boundaries. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's, again, I, I, we talked about it being like the weakest episode. This is a one where the more we've talked about it, the more I'm like, this is, pretty, this is really good, actually. This is really good. So uh, turns out Fargo is a good show. Yeah. Well, let's push ahead to what happens next because Dot drives off to parts unknown. Next week, we keep on keeping on with episode six. It's called The Tender Trap. I don't know what that's going to refer to. Dot sets a lot of traps. But Latanya, where do you think Dot is going? Is she driving up, straight up to the Tillman Ranch? Does she have other people she needs to see? Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I would imagine that she's driving to the Tillman Ranch and that she's going to wreak some havoc there or at least we'll get like a sit down scene that happens between her and Roy which will be really interesting because you know the only interactions that we've seen between the two of them this season is kind of them imagining the other person or like being able to see through that veil and so whatever the other person is doing and then that weird phone call where Dot didn't say anything so I've been waiting all season I think we all have for a scene between Dot and Roy 
Um, and she, you know, hops into her car with her DLR plates, uh, a callback to the movie. And mm-hmm. yeah, I can only imagine that that's where she's going. The reason that I don't necessarily think she's going to get more help from someplace else is because she seems like such a solitary person. Um, and and I can only imagine that if she had other people to rely on, this wouldn't necessarily be her life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, um, the real like basically it sucks that you when you can't turn off the survivor edit uh, in your brain is basically the cast is already pretty big. So going to someone else, like going to an enemy of Roy, who they might also perceive Dot as an enemy to them as well because of the last time they met but her being like having to convince them but i think the more funny version is dot's gonna have to pretend that the intestine man is is her husband <laughs> to go and she's like yeah i'll 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 come back to you roy and then like yeah we can like, yeah, you see smother me with a pillow like oh that's what we tell each other that's our cute little quips we make honey so that's pretty fun, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, the all munch stuff is not is not done. Obviously, it's completely silent this episode. Uh and and wit too. So um yeah, yeah there's a lot more things you can throw back into the equation here. I, yeah, I, I think. Yeah. I would not be surprised if we see a reunion between her and Munch. That could be a bit of your example, LT, of like the enemy of the enemy is my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh and Grace you as well, of like now right. she wouldn't necessarily know that because the last time she saw him, he was pursuing her on behalf. Of Roy, but if she found something out, certainly they could have a run in. I mean, Munch left that warning message, but that's all he did at the moment. So it's clear he wants to strike at Roy again. And that might be something to push him over the edge, considering that Roy is probably coming more undone. Gator has failed yet again. Plan B was a fail, let alone the number of times they've tried plan A. So it's going to be super exciting. And we're going to keep moving through the back half of season five of Fargo. In the meantime, we're all busy as well as the holiday season, and we're offering plenty of podcast gifts under the tree. LT, anything you want to plug, either on social media or podcasts? Um, I may or may not be joining Grace to talk about The Crown uh, yeah. coming up pretty soon. Uh, it's, the, it's the final part of the final season of The Crown, and yeah. everyone is very excited about it. And by everyone, I mean me and Grace. <laughs> Shannon too. Shannon too. Mike, I know as well. I'm I'm excited. I I we're yeah. recording this obviously on the day the final six episodes drop. I've yet to see them. I saw an image that has me very intrigued. So I'm excited. Oh, I know which episodes. one you saw. I know. I know. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Shannon and I are trying to get through, uh, not through, but we want to talk about all the episodes, hopefully before we go away for the holidays. So we're cramming through at all sorts of, uh, recording at all sorts of hours of the day. Uh, I'm also covering a full spoiler recast with Jess, where we talk about a new show each week, movies with Ariel, The Curse with Dr. Amanda, and Yellowstone will return in the new year for a quick three-week run of 10 episodes. So Wait, so there's like three episodes a night? It's okay. So it's like it's over the course of three weeks. It's like a Sunday, there's three episodes. The next Sunday, there's another three. The next Sunday, there's another two. And then the next Monday, there's another two. And that's 10 episodes. That's three, three, two, two. Is that right? Is my math right? Yeah. Yeah. They're doing it. It's basically like three weeks in January, right before the new schedules drop in February, basically. Wow. I'm on social media at High from Grace. Yeah. Rich and I'll be chatting through all the Yellowstone. All right. I'm on social media at LK Starks. Uh, and I'm on social media at a Mike Bloom type. Grace, do you view Yellowstone a different way, considering that like that's Roy Tillman's wet dream, probably? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he'd fit in very well, I think, on the show. Yeah, 
But I feel like he's like the worst part of that type of machismo, right? Actually, do you know what? I talk about this a lot that I actually think like the idea that Yellowstone is actually like super right wing is actually not true. But I bet like Roy Tillman watches it and and just intentionally skips over all the parts that are like not right wing. He's yeah, like fast forwarding all the scenes that he doesn't like. He's yeah. the person who like looks at the Joker as like a hero. Yes. Right? Yeah. He watches Archie Bunker and laughs with him rather than at him. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm, uh, so plenty of stuff happening uh, with me as well. Of course, covering Battlestar Galactica with Josh Wiggler doing a bunch of stuff on the reality TV and Amazing Race is finished. Survivor is finishing. So whether you like scripted or reality stuff, check us out over on uh, Rob has a website and on post show recaps. I'll mention as well, our uh, 2023 and review series is going strong. We're, Checking in a few times every week with recaps of some of the biggest shows, uh, properties, topics of the year leading up to one big finale where we are going to read out your votes for the top 10 TV shows of the year. People are trying to figure out if they should include Fargo in this list. Do Grace, it. by your rules, you should get, okay. As Absolutely, as because the problem is that like people won't really vote for it next year. Like Maybe they will, but mm-hmm. technically it does have episodes that aired in 2023, so it, it is certainly eligible. I think people are struggling with the idea that like not all of it is aired. What if the last half are like, the worst five episodes of TV and then people feel like they... <laughs> yes, and you take a gamble. You roll the you dice. Gamble. That's what Fargo is all about. So feel yeah. free to check out uh, postshowrecaps.com slash 2023 survey. Let your thoughts be heard. If you want to add Fargo in there, you are legally allowed to do so. Yeah. No skirting the radar there. So that's going to do it for this week's recap of Fargo. Next week, we start the second half of season five with episode six and see where Dot's going from here. Until next time, everybody, take care. Bye-bye.